the digital transformation of the Premier League, People First Digital Strategies, and a case study in learning management software. Those are just a few topics we'll cover today in episode number 125 of Transformation Ground Control. This is Transformation Ground Control. Your source for all things business, technology, strategy, and change. If you're growing your business, leading change within your organization, or undertaking any sort of operational or technology change initiative, this podcast is for you. This show covers what you need to know about digital transformation, organizational change, operational improvement, and business growth. Five, four, three, two, one. And now, here's your host, Eric Kimberly. Hello, welcome to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 125. This is the podcast that has everything to do with digital strategy and digital transformation, including the people, process, and technology components of transformation. Thank you for joining here today. As always, my co-host here with me is Kyler Cheatham. Kyler, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for being here. Uh, my name is Eric Kimberling. I'm the CEO of Third Stage, your host today, as well as uh, the CEO of Third Stage, as I already mentioned. And uh, excited to have everyone here today. Thank you for joining from wherever in the world you're joining. You can find new episodes of this podcast every Wednesday on audio podcast platforms throughout the world, as well as streaming to YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. So thank you for listening in. We've got a great show for you today in episode number 125. Uh, we're going to start off with some questions and answers from the audience, as well as a couple of hot topics. And those hot topics we're going to dive into are related to the digital transformation of the Premier League out of Europe. So if you're a football or soccer fan, um, you might particularly enjoy that conversation. And in those hot topic segments, we'll also talk about the five tech adopter categories for, for technology adoption. And uh, later in the show, we'll bring on our first guest, who is Emma Roloff. And Emma will be on the show talking about people-first digital strategies sort of a continuation of last week's episode, episode number 124, which is a sort of a best of our change management discussions over the last couple of years of doing this podcast. We're going to continue with the change management theme here uh, today, talking about people first digital strategies. And then later in the show, our second guest will be Lauren Moran from the third stage consulting team. She'll be on the show talking about uh, learning management case study uh, with, with Kyler. Um, so be sure to stick around for that. So if you're interested in the change management side of things, you're going to love this episode. And you'll also love our last episode, number 124. We talk about change management continuously throughout this podcast, but uh, particularly this episode and our last episode are very, very heavy on the change management side of things. So before we uh, get to our, our guests here later in the show, let's start off with some, some Q&A. Kyla, what have you got in store from our audience for us? Yeah, we've got a full question jar for Eric. So if you um, haven't heard the question and answer before, you can ask Eric any question on his social media channels or live here wherever you're viewing this stream. And our team goes back and picks some of those. Um, we often answer you and let you know we're going to answer it on a, a future episode of Transformation Ground Control. So be sure to, to pop any questions you have for him in there. So with that... Um, this question is from a YouTube video that says, I'm impressed. Um, I want to include EAM. I want to, sorry, pitch EAM to my manager, engineering department at a mining company. Do you have any advice on the training process that I can showcase as a streamlined strategy for my management team? 
a training process. Do you think that means a training process to choose or to justify an EAM system or do you? Do yeah, you- let's say it means a lot of times what we see in organizations is it can be a hard pitch, especially in larger global, more complex organizations, um, especially engineering based, which is what this user is. Uh, so what are some uh, piece of advice that you can kind of show in a digestible pitch format to showcase the opportunity and more the execution of being able to train such a, a large, complex organization? Yeah, well, I mean, to start, I think EAM is something that's very important. Uh, EAM, if you don't know, is enterprise asset management. So that is technology that's either a standalone technology that specializes in asset management, or it could be a module within a broader ERP system, enterprise-wide technology. But regardless of whether you go with sort of that focused best of breed EAM system or EAM within a a broader ERP system, either way, asset management is something that's very important to mining companies and other asset intensive industries. So if you're in the utilities industry, you know, gas and electric utilities or um, anything to do with oil and gas, aerospace and defense, certainly mining is one example. Those are just a few examples of industries where there's a lot of capital intensive assets out in the field or in a production facility that are being used that need to be optimized. And so really building a business case is sometimes easier or more justifiable with uh, asset intensive companies because there's so much at stake in terms of maintenance costs, repair costs, um, just the cost of the assets, the depreciation that goes along with that. And EAM really allows you to optimize the uh, maintenance and repair of those assets as well as the acquisition of potential new assets. So. you know, usually that becomes the justification is the the dollars and cents and the business case behind it. And so really educating the team around the need for it, as well as once you have the tool, the value that it can bring to the organization when you're deploying it. Um, those are just some of the ways that you can sort of educate your your group or your your organization and stakeholders to make sure that they, they're on board with the, the whole concept. Yeah. Can't argue with data or cost savings. Yeah, business cases can be powerful when they're when they're realistic. Mm-hmm. They can be powerful. Yep, definitely. Oh, this is I've been waiting for weeks to get to this question. What system does everyone like, and why? <laughs> oh man, that is a tough question. I could tell you some systems everyone hates. Um, yeah. That was not the question, but um, which, by the way, I've just noticed this recently. I don't know what it is about on my YouTube channel, I love the feedback. And this is where you get a lot of these comments or these questions I know, but I do read all the comments and the questions. And one of the systems I've noticed in my various reviews on my YouTube channel, where I review and provide Mm -hmm. sort of pros and cons of all the different systems. One system that people really seem to not like for whatever reason is uh, Epic software in the healthcare industry. Mm -hmm. Um, I get so much negative feedback on my review, not about the video, not about the review itself, but about Epic as a software. Hmm. Um, So I don't know what that's all about. So back to your real question, what what is a system that everyone likes? Um, I don't know that everyone likes it, but I, I, the ones that I think have like a mass cult following where it's almost, it's very cultish is going to be Odoo. Um, I don't know why Odoo just sort of stands out to me as one that like, there's certain, you know, our, our team has to deal with, you know, the the pros and the cons, right? And so you ask someone on our team, they're probably going to tell you sort of a mixed review of Odoo. But when you find someone that is on board with Odoo, likes Odoo, they they love it. it. There's a very high, I don't have any data to back. This is all qualitative and experiential, but it feels like just in my interactions in the industry, there's something about Odoo that people just love. Um, and it's it's a very powerful 
love of the of the product. In fact, when we had the CEO of Odoo on the show, it was one of the most popular interviews we did. And uh, that podcast and that interview went viral and it's still going viral, even though I interviewed him like almost a year ago now. So I would say Odoo is probably the one. Uh, every All the other major ones that I can think of are sort of a mixed bag. You know, you get mixed reviews, um, just like any, just like any technology out there. So that'd be my knee-jerk reaction to it. Yeah. Odoo is definitely kind of the cool kid of of current digital transformation marketplace. Okay. What is the future impact of supply chain process due to ALS? First of all, someone needs to remind me of what ALS is. So that I don't know. Do you know, is it not advanced I don't learning? know. Maybe we do um, a different one. And Yeah, I'm going to pass on that one just because I, I, I know I've heard that acronym. I should probably know. And when I when we're done filming this yeah. podcast, I know I'm going to go Google it and it's going to be a really simple, obvious thing that I should have remembered. I am not remembering what ALS means. Well, maybe so our, um, our, uh, audience here can answer that question for us as we, as we, um, go through this. So this is another good one though. Um, here is why many of these changes are tossed to the CIO or CTO with a handle it type of approach and they fail because they are hands off during the transformation. So more of a comment, but definitely something that's a, a good awareness and key failure factor. Yeah, it, it really is. And it's a it's a great point. And and whoever made this comment is it's a very it's a very astute conversation. Um and the reason being is that a lot of times executives feel like, you know, they should be able to delegate a transformation or a project, a, a technology implementation project to their team. And that is true to some degree, but uh, most executives, I'd say, err too much on the side of of passing off or delegating the project. And, you know, obviously an executive, you don't expect them to manage the project day to day and be super involved in the details, but there's a certain minimum amount of involvement executives need to have. And I think a lot of times they don't understand or realize how big of an impact a technology implementation is going to have on their operations and on their organization. And they need to be the ones to make decisions behind what they want to be when they grow up or where the organization is going vision and strategically. It's not as simple as just saying, let's just put in this new technology, go have at it and good luck. Let us know how it goes. There's a lot more to it. And, and most executives just intuitively don't realize that. And so the key there is really build some touch points and some stage gate sorts of reviews with executives to where you can get their approval, you can get their input, you can get their buy-in, you can get their pushback and their rejection of certain ideas. I mean, that's part of the messiness of digital transformation, but it's very necessary. It's a lot easier to catch that positive or negative feedback up front before you get too far into the project. So I think that's really the key is just to build those milestones and stage gates to ensure that you get the, the feedback you need from the executive team. But very good point because that's super important. Yep. Definitely an excellent piece of advice there. All right, let's do one more here. And again, if you have a question um, for Eric that you want us to cover in future episodes, you can go ahead and pop it wherever you are viewing or on one of his recent videos or even on third stage content as well. We pull from there. So this question is WMS, TMS, Yard MS, etc. So just warehouse management, transportation management, yard management, etc. Could blockchain serve as the central platform to link all of these systems? So kind of entering into the best of breed meets emerging technology question there. 
yes, it could. And in, in some cases it is being used in that way. So blockchain, um, you know, a lot of times people think of blockchain in terms of cryptocurrency. So blockchain is the underlying technology that supports and enables cryptocurrency. And it's, um, I won't get into the technicality of it, partly because I'm not a blockchain technical expert, but also partly because it would take forever to try to explain it. Um, but the the key the key to blockchain is that it's a unique identifier, and it, it sort of like tracks the data, and it tracks the movement of data throughout various transactions and touch points and things like that. So it really lends itself to not only something like cryptocurrency, where you need to track um, track where you know what transactions are leading to the flow of currency cryptocurrency but it can also be used in things like food manufacturing when you think about the need to recall potentially recall a product based on a raw material that's corrupt or that's that's the source of a recall um you need you can use blockchain to to trace back they call it uh, traceability you're tracing back to the raw material that is in question and it allows you to isolate and hone in on where you would need to recall um, the food. And the reason I bring this up is because that's that's one of the more common uses of blockchain within a supply chain. But in just general warehouse management day to day for even non-food, just any sort of manufacturing distribution related sorts of uh, organizations, it can be used in a similar way where it can help you trace and track raw materials to components to finished goods. And it allows you to track where in the supply chain it is, where in the warehouse it is, um, if it's at a supplier or if it's on its way to a customer, if it's on a truck, if it's on a boat, um, whatever it is, um, blockchain is a good enabler and a good technology that's really enabling a lot of the warehouse management capabilities that we've come to uh, grown accustomed to over the recent years. Yeah, very good. Um, and a, a lot of additional supporting answers to that question on both the third stage and Eric's YouTube channel. If you go in there and search um, warehouse management, uh, there's a, a ton of case studies, even food and beverage, that you can kind of dive into on more of a granular basis. So highly encourage that. Um, but definitely want to take a quick break here and then um, come back to cover some hot topics. Yeah, we've got a couple of really, really interesting hot topics you're going to walk us through, Kyler. One is being the uh, the digital transformation of the Premier League. So I know a lot of our audience is in Europe and Latin America and other and even the Americas where uh, soccer slash football is a very popular sport. So we're going to talk about the the digital transformation of the Premier League, as well as uh, five adopter or five tech adopter categories to be aware of in terms of technology adoption and, and the the, uh, the different categories of those adopters of technology. And then after our hot topics later in the show, we're going to have a first guest, which is Emma Roloff on talking about change management. She's going to be on talking about people first digital strategies. Um, and she's been a guest on the show in the past and is very good, uh, good. She's a very knowledgeable person, excited to have her back on the show. And then later, uh, our second guest will be Lauren Moran from the third stage consulting team. She'll be on talking with you, Kyler, about a, a case study in learning and management software. So we'll, we'll take a quick break. We'll be back with more transformation ground control. We'll be right back. Could you whisper in my ear the things you want to feel? Interested in working for a company that truly values your unique skills and experience? Here at Third Stage, we don't hire based on resumes alone. We look at the full candidate, experience, and willingness to provide excellent service for our clients. 
Within a technology independent and agnostic consulting firm, you have the opportunity to learn across industries with a diverse group of clients. Our consultants also have the opportunity to diversify their portfolio and learn across technology systems. If you're interested in joining a high growth entrepreneurial organization, please reach out to us at work at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 125. My name is Eric Kimberling, your host for today, along with my co-host, Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as on audio podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Pandora, iHeartRadio, etc. So be sure to check us out and subscribe wherever you like to listen. Uh, we've got some uh, hot topics here to discuss, a couple hot topics that you've Mm-hmm. curated for us here. Kyler, what have you got in store for us? Well, you know, I had some sports on the mind while I uh, shameless plug the Denver Nuggets, which Eric and I are both located in the Denver area in the United States, and they won uh, the NBA finals, which if you're a Denver sports fan, we got to take what we can get. Um, and we're just very excited about that. So it must I just must have manifested this article about um, digital strategy and how um, fantasy Premier League, which is the fantasy league of the Premier League, has become one of the most important pillars of the Premier League's digital strategy and has over 12 million global users. What this has done is really globalized the league. So to start this conversation, I know, as you mentioned, Eric, you have a we have a very global audience here at Third Stage and a global client community. So for all of our um, our football fans there, go ahead and pop your favorite club in the comments um, and we'll do a little poll about what's our, our third stage um, fan base when it comes to soccer clubs while I explain this. So what they did is they um, they took the fantasy premier leagues and the popularity and influence to really leverage branding partners and boost the overall amplification, if that's a word, of uh, its its content into um, really the fundamental strategy of the fans. And the way that they do this is each club has their own kind of space and community, which creates these kind of microcultures. But a lot of clubs also have some crossover when it comes to fan base. Um, This product, and specifically what I wanted to ask you about, like how did this evolution happen when it came to, because we've seen other fantasy or sports gambling or digital adoption of consuming sports, and we've talked a lot about that on the show in the past, but this is one of the oldest areas in which they evolved a 20-year-old product, which is morphed into way more than just a game, spawning kind of across new content opportunities and cultivating that global fan base. So if you do have kind of a legacy sport, a legacy product, a legacy identity, do you have an opportunity to involve into a more digital space? And is that harder or sometimes easier because you do have a more established organization? Yeah, that's a great question. And um, I'd say the short answer is yes. Uh, If you have a sort of traditional business model or if you're in a traditional industry like sports, um, there are opportunities to go through digital, digital, digitalization of your business model. 
Um, one example that comes to mind for us, which is probably one of the more extreme examples amongst our client base, is a, a publishing company, a company that publishes um, academic journals um, primarily. They also publish books and other things, but um, they've traditionally published hard copy publications in academic journals in particular. And uh, they really struggled with going through this transition into digital media and digital delivery of their of their products. And unfortunately, or, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, for them, there was some movement in Europe in the public in the um, publishing space, where it was becoming more. I think they were calling it open source publication. So instead of um, instead of requiring a really high or expensive uh, subscription cost for an academic journal, there's some sort of European regulation that I don't recall what it is or the details of it, but it's sort of opening up um, or commoditizing some of the academic journals and academic publications. And that was really creating a burning platform for this particular client to go through their digital transformation to become more efficient, partly because they were, they were experiencing margin pressures because now they couldn't charge as much as they used to in the past. And also because just in general, being in the publishing space and the academic space, so much content is free now. And so they're, they're just under a lot of macroeconomic forces that were pressuring them to change. So, you know, a lot of times organizations like them, they'll wait too long. They'll wait until they have to do something and they're sort of in survival mode. Um, obviously the better answer and the, the better longer term solution is probably going to be to identify and, pro and proactively um, recognize the need to go through a digitalization initiative um, but whatever it takes, I mean, if you need regular regulation or market market or macroeconomic forces to push you there, that, I mean, that's better than not doing anything, but, um, I think you really have to look ahead to what can we be doing now so that we're prepared and it's not as much of a mad scramble to fix things when, if, and when the world changes to the point where we have to do something. Yeah. Definitely. Um, really good insight and great example on the publishing side. Definitely, you know, we've seen a lot of different transformations and I won't even go into the Beatles AI um, hot topic news. I'm going to save that for next time, but um, definitely a, a Beatles re revisiting, um, bringing back um, their actual music. So via AI that they've been able to release new ones. So, oh, that's brilliant. so we'll, it's a little teaser for next time because I feel like we need someone else in the Elvis versus Beatles conversation too. But if you are interested in learning more about the Premier League and the globalization because of the fantasy um, platform, they are coming to the United States uh, for a Premier League mini tour in um, July, and they're going to Philadelphia, Orlando, and Atlanta. So maybe we can take a little third stage outing to get to know our football a little bit better. So yeah, very cool. Give me something beyond uh, Ted Lasso, which is the show on <laughs> Apple TV, I think, that's about soccer. That's about as much as I know about soccer or football is yeah. just what I see in Ted Lasso, just because. Well, maybe we, we can give away like tickets and go to a game with you or something like that to some of our, yeah. our global teach audience. Me the rules of, teach yeah. me the rules of soccer. <laughs> don't you love when I make up things and we just give them away on the fly? It's always keeps you on your toes. <laughs> yeah. You give away free tickets to something that may not exist or, uh, <laughs> well, I guess the, the tour you're saying. I, it yeah, it definitely does exist. It definitely does. But, <laughs> That's good. Um, so the other thing I wanted to talk to you about today and kind of get your feedback on is 
there's been a lot of talk around the five adopter categories when it comes to digital adoption within an enterprise. And these are psychological profiles that were actually created in the 1950s. So I want to read you the five categories. And then there are three tips within here to make sure that you hit each category within your digital or enterprise technology adoption strategy. So let's let's get into these real quick and then I'll get your reaction. So first category we have is the innovators. This is makes up 3%, um, which creates new technology and products and invents and new processes. So they're really the first users and test cases throughout the organization. Early adopters are the next one, and this is a bigger chunk at 14% after innovators. Early adopters are going to come in um, and are the earliest employees or customers to experiment with new technologies that get released within the enterprise or the marketplace. Early majority, this is split between the biggest category coming in at 34%. Um, which gets comfortable using the the new technology after it's been tested by those early adopters. The next category is late majority. Um, So that again sits at 34% after the early majority refers to the late majority. This group then comprises the mainstream use of the product or the new technology within the organization. And then the last 16% are called the laggers. Um, and they are the hardest to get to adopt to new technology or processes. Uh, so the the tips in looking at how you make sure that you uh, establish and include all of these holistically in your user ad- op- adoption tra- strategy starts with the multi-channel training approach, which I know we'll dive into a little bit heavier in what that means. Uh, but there's really been a huge transformation around training and what does training mean. Um, And these are instructional articles, webinars, interactive calls, and kind of those bite-sized quick hit pieces of content, more of that, those shorts, TikTok, YouTube shorts based that give you exactly what you need on demand um, as well. And so the second tip here is convincing those laggards with data. You need data to convince this group that are heavy and resistant. Um, You can talk about things like uh, explain how the solution can help via data, and you can measure this with your earlier categories, either your majority adopters, early adopters, to show them that how moving from manual processes to more efficiencies actually created X, Y, and Z opportunities for that earlier adoptive um, group. Finally, our last tip here in this study is to use innovators and early adapters to evangelize. Uh, And we we call these kind of change agents or change specialists. So what you want to do is kind of amplify their experience, have them have peer-to-peer conversations about how the technology is enhanced or given them new opportunities within the organization to streamline experiences, to learn new things. And you really want to make sure that you're talking to people that are influential within your organization and that are really in those front lines or middle management tier. Um, as well. So those are kind of those three tactics in five categories. So knowing that you are you are truly the expert and a lot of the episode today talks about user adoption and the importance of it. I wanted to get your reaction to that overall study. Yeah. It's, well, first of all, was that article, was that from Harvard Business Review by chance or where? It was where not. It? it was okay. from Forbes. Okay. But 
because I feel like yeah. I've heard those those five categories before or read them somewhere before, but it's been a long time. So it's kind of a, a good refresher. Yeah. But I think that what I like about that categorization and just the understanding of what percentage of most organizations fall into which category or, or what, let me rephrase that, what percentage of people within an organization fall into which categories. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a good reminder that you just really need to have that formalized approach to what your adoption strategy is. And you mentioned the, you know, three recommendations in the article. Um, I think the, the short sort of headline summary I'd give maybe to recap or, you know, restate what the article says, which is to, you know, first of all, you don't want to focus too much on the laggards, uh, at least not early on. You have to worry about them. You have to deal with them, obviously. But if you can get those innovators and early adopters to, as a way to build momentum and get them as sort of champions of the change, then you can get into that mainstream, um, would you call it the early majority or the, I forgot those mm -hmm. middle two. Yeah. The early majority and the late majority are the big, big two buckets. Um, so really the early majority needs to bring the late majority in. Those are kind of like, all right, I guess we're doing this type of thing. Um, yeah. And kind of jump on the bandwagon or when the expectations are really being set throughout the organization. Yeah. So I think having that deliberate model and, and sort of an iterative approach to adoption to build and incrementally uh, convert more people into believers and understanders of whatever the changes are is really important. Not to say that that then will just make the laggards follow or follow along, but they're more likely to soften up or loosen up a little bit and become adopters of the new processes and new technologies if the rest of the organization is is fully on board. So I think it's a great it's a great model to follow for sure. And it sounds like you're saying it's it's pretty important to consider all of this in that phase zero planning when you are really starting to talk about what does it look like for your organization to go through a digital transformation and an implementation. Yeah, yeah, I, that actually was not. I didn't say that, but that it was a good. That's oh, a well, that's what idea. I took from it. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, you just said it better. I should say those those weren't my exact words, but you 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 clarified or added that specificity to it in that phase zero piece where you. You know, you, it's before you start the implementation, you should be defining what the change strategy is and the adoption strategy and what these iterations are going to look like so that you have a very clear path to how you're going to convert people. Too often organizations just treat all these five categories the same. They say, we're just going to go out and train all five categories of people without even fully understanding what the five categories are and sort of treating them all equally. And you can't treat them equally. You have to strategically use and navigate the strengths and weaknesses of each of those groups. And uh, that's something to your point that you can do in that phase zero implementation planning phase before you get into the implementation for sure. Absolutely. And shameless plug, as I always do, we do have a newer asset um, that I wanted to give to this audience um, with that conversation is our phase zero checklist. So I encourage you um, to download via the QR code here on the screen or the link in the bio, and you can give us your feedback on our newly released uh, phase zero checklist just to ensure that you're hitting all of those planning markers. Because as, as Eric mentioned, missing those in the early phase is going to cost time, money, and can lead to a potential failure. So that's really critical to make sure all of those boxes are checked when going and considering a new technology within the organization. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that checklist is a, a very good new asset that we've uh, offered to the public. So be sure to check that out. That's a great, a great one. And you can uh, download that via the links or the QR code on the screen here. Um, well, good. Well, thank you for that. That's a good uh, overview. And it's actually a good lead in to our next two conversations and our, our next two guests 
uh, which are first going to be Emma Roloff, who we're going to bring on after a quick break. She's going to be on talking about people first digital strategies. And then later in the show, we'll bring on Lauren Moran from the third stage consulting team. She's going to be on talking about a learning uh, management software case study. So she'll talk about sort of that learning and adoption piece as it relates to one of our uh, current clients um, and very much related to this uh, user adoption piece that you just described for us, Kyler. So stick around. Uh, we'll get to those next two guests here in just a moment. In the meantime, you're listening to Transformation Ground Control. We'll be right back. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 125. My name is Eric Kimberling, your host today here with Kyler Cheatham your co-host, and we're excited to bring on our next guest, who's someone who has been on the show in the past, and it's uh, sort of building on the theme from last week's episode, which last week's episode, if you haven't heard it yet, uh, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. It's uh, episode number 124, and it's the organizational change management episode, and we take about a dozen of the best change management interviews that we've done over the last uh, two and a half years of doing this podcast. Um, so we thought we'd just keep going, keep rolling here with the, the change management theme here in episode number 125 by bringing on Emma uh, onto the show, who has been a guest in the past and excited to have her back on after uh, a while not being on the show. So Emma is a, a change management and digital transformation expert, and we thought we'd have her on to talk about people first digital strategies. So Emma, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And that's very exciting. I didn't realize I got to be like back-to-back -back episodes. People might I, get a little uh, annoyed with hearing me in two weeks in a row, but I'm glad to be here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have that distinct feature of being uh, featured twice in, in two episodes in a row. And it's funny because we obviously record these episodes in advance. And when I was recording that episode and we played your clip, I couldn't, I couldn't remember or I didn't recall that you were the next guest we had. I was thinking you were in July. So I said, she's going to be on in a few weeks again, so stay tuned and that sort of thing. So I did make a mistake when I uh, talked about you, but- uh, It'll be a pleasant a, surprise, right? <laughs> it'd be exactly. Pleasant surprise to have you on the show twice in a row or two weeks in a row. Um, well, well, let's start off by talking about you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I know you and I have known each other now a couple of years. You were on this podcast about two years ago. Um, we had a great discussion then. I expect we'll have a great discussion here today, but tell us a little bit about your background for those that maybe don't know you or didn't hear that episode. Yeah. So as you said, my name is Emma Roloff and my focus has been for about the last 10 years, a little less on the direct change management side and more on the technology implementation side and helping my customers move through changing processes and implementing technology in a way that's going to actually deliver results and, and deliver an ROI. And so I started my career more on the strictly process automation side and was with a company called Navient for about eight years, 
helping their enterprise customers cross vertically. So manufacturing, biotech, some insurance, which then kind of led me on my journey into my current role. So now I'm the director of sales for property and casualty solutions at um, EIS. And so we help our insurance carrier partners implement the software that really runs the core of their business. So Eric, you guys are obviously incredibly familiar with ERPs and other core line of business softwares. In the, in the insurance world for carriers, of course, they'll have an ERP that's helping run their accounting functions and, and managing those components. But when it comes to how they pay claims, how they manage policies, how they bill their customers, all of that comes together in the core suite, which is what we help implement for our customers. And then right. in addition to all of that, I also have um, a YouTube series called Leading Change, um, where I focus on things like what we're going to talk about today, as well as emerging technologies and general trends within digital transformation. A lot of those conversations are focused on insurance, but then also because of that background being cross-vertical, can't help myself but getting into everybody's business. So right. I, I have some more wide-reaching conversations there as well. Yeah. In fact, um, it, I think it took me a while to realize after getting to know you that you were in the insurance space, because even though that's obviously your focus, um, just so much of what you talk about is relevant across industry. And in fact, I think you and I got to know each other on TikTok when I was first starting on TikTok. Um, mm -hmm. I had just started my channel and you were one of the first people that kept showing up in my feed. And I was like, who is this person that keeps showing up in my feed? I should get to know more about her. And that's how we, how we got to know each other. So you have a very popular TikTok channel and following as well. It is. It's funny because people never quite under, and I'm glad that you get this and you understand this as well, but so many people just think of TikTok as like strictly dancing. And I right. certainly get into like my fair share of trends and like relating things back to the enterprise technology or change management side of things. Um, but it's such an effective tool, like that short form video content to get points across and, and start conversations. And I love the conversations that get started in TikTok as opposed to LinkedIn, because when people aren't associated with their professional career or their, or their company, they will comment things that spark a whole different type of conversation, yeah. <laughs> sometimes mean spirited things, but it allows you to unpack stuff in a very different way than you can on LinkedIn, which I think it's really nice to have both channels from that perspective. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Like getting people outside of their normal professional LinkedIn setting, you know, sometimes you can have a different conversation than you might have have there. Um, so let's back up a little bit more in your career. So you you talked about sort of your your evolution in this digital transformation and change management space, but you weren't always in this space. You were actually you started your career as a teacher. Maybe tell us a little bit about that. You you started off as a teacher. What what kind of tell us about that background and how that has impacted your role in sort of your view of digital transformation and, and the people first side of digital transformation? Yeah. So, um, I, as long as I can remember, back to uh, probably elementary, middle school, I was very talkative, very loud, liked to be in front of people on a regular basis, and so I was constantly told like you should be a teacher. And I, and then as I started getting older, I really liked kids too, and so that was always kind of like the you're smart, you like being in front of people, and you like kids. You should definitely go towards being a teacher. And so pretty much my whole like middle school, high school career, thinking back to it, I always wanted to be in education and what subject it was kind of changed over time. But I ended up going to school to be a social studies teacher. So I have a degree 
and our education degrees are a whole mouthful, but I've got secondary education, broad field social studies, political science, and psychology as my background. Mm -hmm. And um, so I went into school, I went through all of my student teaching, and um, really the biggest challenge for me was part of the reason I wanted to be a social studies teacher is I love making connections. And I love helping people see things maybe from a level above where our typical conversations are happening. And so that's why I was so fascinated by the idea of political science and sociology and psychology was how do we make these connections in a way that we're not in our traditional classroom? Mm. Um, I, you know, I don't know if everybody else had this experience and I had some phenomenal teachers growing up. I was very fortunate, but especially in social studies, a lot of it was like, here's your textbook. We're going to learn about this period in history. We're going to, maybe they came up with some really cool ideas to help us like really engage with the content. But it wasn't until college that I started to realize why all of these subjects that fell under the social studies umbrella were connected to one another. Mm. And it was in a political science class where we started talking about like how it relates to sociology and how that relates to individual psychology and seeing those connections come through. So then when I went into the classroom to start teaching, I went into um, alternative schools and private schools as opposed to traditional classrooms because I really wanted to teach through those connections. Mm. But those alternative schools often come with a lot of behavioral challenges. And um, truthfully, it was just really hard for me to disconnect from the behavioral challenges and the things that I was seeing in the classroom and my life. Mm. And so at the time, I was also interning with a fast food chain that the franchising office was based just outside of Madison, Wisconsin. For anybody that's basically in the central part of the country in the U.S., you might know of Culver's. Um, so I was working with them as, in a restaurant all through high school and college and then was given an opportunity to move into their training department in um, after graduation. So I took that um, internship and ultimately a role with them after graduation as an opportunity to see what the the implications of my training and teaching background would look like in a corporate setting. Hmm. And I really liked that, but I got to the point where after a couple of years, I had worked with the same people since I was like 15 years old because the office was so closely related to the restaurant that I worked in. And so all of these people knew me, they'd been taking pictures of me for training and in videos for their, their corporate training for such a long time that it was like, I don't need pictures of when I was 15 and my nose is too big and my, <laughs> I have a vacuum on my back, like a backpack, making the rounds as an adult anymore. Like I need to go off and try something different and try something new. Um, and I joke that my husband, my father-in-law and my husband's uncle did an intervention one year at Thanksgiving when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. And they sat me down and they said, you should go into sales. And back then it was kind of like a bad word to me. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, mm, that's not, that's not for me. And eventually they kind of got me to the point where if you're helping people solve problems and you believe in what you're bringing forward to help them solve those problems, you're going to really enjoy it. And good salespeople are good teachers. And so um, I applied to that role that I mentioned at Navient when I was with them for about eight years and their COO, name's Liz Glasky at the time, had worked for IBM and they used to hire teachers to come teach people about technology. Mm. So when she saw on my um, resume that I had a teaching background, she was like, we can teach you the technology, we can teach you about sales, 
but we want your skill set to come teach our customers about technology. Um, and so that really helped me from that perspective, like have an opportunity to even try all of this out. Um, and I promise I'm going to get to this last part of your question here. But when you talk about why this is, you know, all tied to why I'm so focused on the human centric side of technology implementations with a background in psychology and sociology and how society evolves, I can't help myself but care about the people side of change. Yeah. And then truthfully, I've just had so many experiences over the course of the last almost 10 years where if we focus on only the technology, it ends up biting us in the end because we lose sight of what we're trying to accomplish and why we're trying to solve the problem in the first place. And um, again, going back to like my focus is always to try and help solve a problem. Well, those problems are typically tied to customer or employee engagement and if you're not solving those problems, then you're not doing your job at the end of the day. And so it became really apparent to me a couple of years into my career that like, this is the secret sauce. And this is what really unlocks that ROI and helps you solve problems. So if I'm going to sell technology, I'm going to do it in a way that feels good to my heart and helping solve those problems. I have to focus on this side of it too. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And your, your background in alternative education and psychology really explains, in my opinion, your, your empathy. I mean, you, there are people, I mean, you and I are not the only people out there talking about why change management is so important. I, I think there should be more people like us talking about change management. We're not the only ones, right. But, but you have a different way of coming across as a very, you come at it from an angle of empathy. Like when, when I watch your videos, I, I feel, it just feels different. It feels like you're not just saying change management is important because it is, it is a fact in my opinion, but you, you just have a different layer of empathy that I think most people don't have. So that's sort of, and part that of might that explain comes it. from also just my personality too. anybody who's managed me in the past can tell you that I'm like a vehement stickler for why I'm supposed to be doing something. <laughs> and right. if I'm that passionate about it and I don't want to do something unless you're giving me a strong reason why, and I can turn it into something that's meaningful for me, then there's a lot of people that are out there that are thinking the same thing that I am. And so that's part of it also is like, I can put myself in those people's shoes and understanding why that why and the change management portion of it is so important. We're here with Emma Roloff talking about people first, digital strategies in digital transformation. We've got a lot more to cover, but first we're gonna take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. Just tell me what you've If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com.
Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 125. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. We're here with Emma Roloff talking about people-first digital strategies. Let's jump back into the conversation. You, you sort of answered this, but I want to dive into it maybe a little bit more directly and a little bit more detail, Emma, and that is, you know, you started to talk about why change management is so important. You started to get into sort of the the why and your your need to understand why and your empathy for for helping other people understand why as part of a digital transformation. But just in general, if we sort of back up, why do you, why is it so important? You mentioned that that if you get too caught up in technology, it's going to bite you in the end. I think those are your I'm paraphrasing a little bit, mm-hmm. but those are sort of the gist of what you were saying. Why why is that? Maybe help us understand why this people side of change is so important and why is it so overlooked. So I think the the simple answer to why is it overlooked is the people side is the hard side. Mm. Technology is black and white. Technology yeah. is implemented in a way that's going to work or it's not. <laughs> and right. you have, you know, especially when it comes to like developing tools or configuring tools, you're turning something on or you're turning something off or development itself. Yes. Like I'm sure if there's developers in there, they're going to come at me because they all have their own way of building code and their own language. But I I mean, it's zeros and ones. It's, it's black and white. The people side is where things get sticky. The people side is what you can't control. It is variable and dependent on the day. It can look different. And that's, I mean, to me, that's why we default to the technology side because that's the easy side and that's what we feel like we can control. Um, I, I think the best way to explain maybe why I I had an epiphany and maybe you've heard me tell this story before, Eric, and I can hear my seven-year-old steps above me on the, on the yeah. floor for summer break. But I had a moment with her when she was probably four years old where I had started to see these trends of, again, when we don't pay attention to the people we end up having rework and we end up having to go back and change how we're implementing a solution or projects just fall apart. And so I'd started to kind of see these, these trends happening. And I was starting to ask myself a lot of like, why is change so hard? And why is this something that, you know, we, we interact with and that impacts our daily life on a regular basis. And I like to tell this story because I think it's something that's universal to so many people Um, And it's the story of when I managed the change with that little girl going to get a shot one year and I did it the next. And it made me make this connection that like change is hard for us, like innately as humans. And it's something that we are kind of designed to resist a little bit because back again, if we want to go back evolutionarily, that change might have meant a bad thing in our lives. And so managing that so that we can counteract some of those kind of like instinctual reactions is really important. And I like to tell this story because, again, I think it like one, it's funny and it it shows everyone that I am human, but two, because I think it demonstrates this idea so nicely. So my daughter is pretty afraid of shots and she has been since she was like conscious of what was going on. So when she was three, we did a lot with her to get her ready to go get her shots. We talked about it. We watched episodes of Daniel Tiger where he went and got shots. We explained everything that was going to happen from start to finish. We explained what, why she needed them. We talked to her about what she was going to get at the end of it. And we went in and it went so well that I was like, whew, all right, I think we're done with this. So then the next year, truthfully, I just didn't think I needed to do anything to get her ready for it. And I went to go pick her up from school early 
And I told her like, hey, we're going to go to the doctor. We're going to get a quick shot, but then we can go get some ice cream afterward. And the moment the word shot came out of my mouth, despite the fact that we had done all of that prep work and got her ready the year before, the tears started and they did not stop for probably an hour and a half. And um, when we got her into the doctor's office, like again, every attempt that I had, she was literally like crawling up on the couch behind me, like an angry cat at the vet trying to hide from anything that could happen. I called my husband to get him to try and like tell her it was okay. We had multiple nurses in the room until finally we just had to get there. And I like had to hold her down. And like, when you have that experience of like holding down a kid while they're screaming, like you feel like a terrible parent, you know, you're doing something that's good for them. But like in hindsight, reflecting back on that, that moment in my mind of like, she, that was my fault. Like that was my downfall as a parent that I didn't prepare her that second time around. And we could have had that great experience the first time. And then making that correlation of like, imagine being in a business setting where you feel like you're holding down your employees to get them to adopt a solution and yelling at them. Like, I promise it's for your good. It's going to make you more efficient where like your, your back end and that adoption is so much more difficult than if you had just done a little bit of work on the front end to get them to understand why and how you were going to go about it and how they could be involved in the process. Then you don't have to go through that because they believe in it and they're ready to adopt the solution. And you can walk out and go get your ice cream and be happy like we did the first year. (laughs) So that like, again, kind of like why is so important. It's, it's, It's innately human. It's something that all of us are predestined to resist, but we can counteract it with the right steps on the front end of the process. Yeah. That's a great, great point. And it's an interesting story too. And it's, it's fascinating to me how many lessons and leadership lessons in particular you can get from parenting, just simple parenting uh, sorts of situations like what you just described. Um, There's so much of that, that if we would just apply that to our organizational lives and, and our styles of leadership, there's so much there that we could, we could learn from and apply for sure. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, okay. So there's a couple different, there's a lot going through my head here. I have, I have like three different directions we could go. <laughs> with that, so to bear with me for a second here. Um, so, okay. So, um, why do you think that, so you, you started to answer this with sort of the headline summary of the reason why more people don't see the, or don't focus enough on change management is because it's hard. The technology either works or it doesn't. Um, maybe shifting gears and looking at, let's unpack that a little bit more. I mean, why, why is it that we as humans and we as leaders just are so drawn to the technical piece of it? And yes, it's black and white. Yes, it works or it doesn't. But if we, let's just assume we all agree that the people side is really important and we know we need to address that. Then why is it not, why is it not more intuitive to more leaders and more project teams that they need to focus more on change management or at the very least they, they, they should know, how to address that that piece of change management? Why, why do you think that is? And how can we avoid that same pitfall within our own organizations? I think part of it also honestly comes down to the types of conversations and the way that we run vendor evaluations and how vendors pitch their products. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, when you look at an incentive structure as a um, as a salesperson of technology, it sounds counterintuitive for me to tell you that at the end of the day, you could choose me or you could choose somebody else. 
but the success of your project isn't necessarily going to come down to which product you chose. It's going to come down to how you implement it and how your team uses it. Hmm. That doesn't help me sell my software. And so from an incentive standpoint, many software companies are incentivized to show you and focus on during the sales process, the parts that set them apart, which obviously as a salesperson, I'm going to tell you why I think my software is going to outperform others or why I think that there are nuances and differences that are going to set us apart. And I do believe that there's, you know, there's certain classes of software and, and there are dynamics. If you buy something that can't do what you're looking to do, you're going to end up failing as well. Technology mm -hmm. is obviously a part of this scenario. But when we look at that side of it, that number one is, you know, the, the software vendors themselves are incentivized to have you focus on the software because that's what's going to help them sell their tool and be successful as a business. And it's not from a, a harmful place. A lot of times software vendors might not even be the ones that are doing the implementation of their tool. And so talking about change management isn't something that's necessarily in their control. Mm -hmm. um, so when we look at that side, you know, from the vendor side, they're not necessarily incentivized to work with you on that process. Then we look at like how we run our, our vendor selections from a company perspective. Oftentimes RFPs are these massive documents with feature functionality focus because that's what you feel like you can compare apples to apples between different software vendors. And, um, you know, I've always been more on the software side, but prior to my current role, I was also in an implement. We didn't develop our own platforms. We were resellers and we were implementation partners. So I've seen RFPs that are focused on like, what the implementation side would look like. And I would promise you when I would get an RFP that would be 400 questions, there would maybe be 20 questions about the company itself and the approach to implementation and transformation and change management, if it was even brought up at all. There might be something about methodology of how you implement a solution, but then there, the other 300 some questions would be about features and functionality within the tools. Right. And then that tells the vendor what we care about are the features and functionality, not this other component of it. And so it's just the way that we position this stuff. And I don't know if it's anyone is consciously positioning the technology to be the more important part, but I think part of it is we call it digital transformation. So we hear the digital part and we think technology is what's doing it all when yeah. really it's all about enabling people and it's all done by people. So why do we forget about, <laughs> I can't quite get my arms wrapped around why we forget about that other than maybe just the way that we're positioning it and the language that we're using when we're discussing these types of projects. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever find yourself conflicted in your role in, in your sales role of sort of like what you just said, the, the, not the reverse incentive, but you're not incentivized financially at least to in the short term to focus on the people side or at least to focus on that message but yet you do right that's mm -hmm. i mean if you anyone who follows you on tiktok knows that that is what you're going to talk about you are not going to skirt that <laughs> that topic by any means so i mean so during the soul cycle it's not unusual for me to say like and keep in mind when you're and you know in my current position oftentimes implementations are done through partners and so like the, the one thing that's nice is I know that they have an incentive to focus on that. And I've been in enough conversations where I do hear them having some of those discussions. Mm -hmm. And I've heard my partners say things like, you know, the technology is the easy part. The people side is where it's hard. Like I've heard them use those words and work through that process. 
And I am um, pretty excited to see that there are more organizations that are starting to establish more specific focus on change management and or like having their PMO team move through, whether it be ProSci or whatever other types of training to get themselves prepared to help lead some of that change side of things. Um, but I, you know, I certainly make no, like you said, no mystery of what my thoughts are. And um, I wouldn't say I'm necessarily conflicted, but I think it might surprise some people mm -hmm. as they interact with me sometimes. Um, but again, anybody who looks at me on LinkedIn or TikTok or YouTube, they're going to realize really quickly what I believe is important. And that influences the way, you know, I sell my software frankly too. Our solution is focused around the customer. There's a reason that that's the tool that I've chosen to sell in this space, because I think that just even how we manage the data focused around people, as opposed to focused around a claim number or a policy number, that small nuance change is, is impactful when it comes to how you're interacting with your customer. So there's even like small things like that, that kind of, again, how I view software and what I view as important as a part of a solution are impacted by my view of what matters within the, the larger sphere of transformation. Interesting. We're here with Emma Roloff talking about people first digital strategies in digital transformation. We've got a lot more to cover, but first we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. Are you looking to stay ahead of the curve in the ever-changing landscape of digital transformation? Then you need our newly released 2023 Digital Transformation Report. This comprehensive report covers the latest trends, technologies, and strategies to ensure your digital transformation is optimized for success. The 2023 Digital Transformation Report is packed full of proven methodologies and insights from experts in the independent digital transformation field. You'll also receive practical insights on how to implement digital transformation strategies within your unique organization. This free report is available for download on our website at thirdstage-consulting.com under our thought leadership section. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 125. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. We're here with Emma Roloff talking about people-first digital strategies. Let's jump back into the conversation. Now, now uh, shifting gears a bit or sort of connecting the dots here between sales and change management, this is a really interesting question from Manoj on YouTube. And Manoj says, having experience in sales, is it is helpful to understand what with, start that over, I am having trouble talking today. Having experience in sales, it is helpful to understand that with people going through digital transformation, you have to win hearts and minds. How do you do that effectively? I'd be curious to hear your perspective, not just as a change practitioner, but also as a salesperson. How do you win hearts and minds within organizations when you're leading them through change? I think the best way to do that is to build authentic relationships any way that you can, um, and which is part of a reason that I am so focused on building a presence on LinkedIn, YouTube, and then even using video as effectively as I can through my sales process. Um, because I, 
it makes you human and it allows you to connect with people. And if you are making videos and sending them to explain your value proposition or, you know, your executive summary, one of the things that I typically do with an RFP, maybe you don't have the opportunity to connect as a person with everybody through that process because it's being led by procurement and they're going to read through the document. I will always put a video in there, whether they watch it or not, I don't know, but I will always put a video in with my response that one shows that I'm a human, shows some of that like authentic um, want and desire to help them solve problems, and then puts a face to a name. Um, I will use that oftentimes in a, as a way of prospecting, um, you know, or anytime that you're on a call with me, even if everybody else on the call doesn't have their video on, if I'm with a client, my video is on so that they can see I'm engaged in, and interacting with them on the call. So sometimes it literally is like me with a bunch of black squares, but that's again, that to me is how I build that relationship. Even if I don't get to be in person with everybody, like I used to back in the day. And then anything that you can do to build relationships and um, really extend beyond just the immediate group that you're working with to anybody that's going to be impacted, I think is, is a big part of that. And then also just really being authentic in the way that you interact with them. Hmm. Admitting when you don't know the answer to something rather than bullshitting. Um, admitting right. that you need help from someone else on your team to help answer a question um, you know, asking a lot of questions, asking more questions than you do talking. All of those things are going to help you understand what they're going through, how you can build authentic relationships, and then how you can actually help win those hearts and minds. Because to that point, those relationships are going to be tested through an implementation. No implementation ever goes seamlessly. No project ever has you know, like a complete smooth sailing opportunity. And so you need that, uh, that relationship to fall back on when times get tough so that they know you authentically and genuinely will be there to support them through any hurdles that you run into along the way. Mm, interesting. Yeah, that's, that's well, well said. And, uh, you, you gave me one, uh, piece of advice second that's secondary to this conversation, but, uh, advice I'll take, which is to put videos in RFPs. That's a great idea. Uh, because I'm not I'm not a huge fan of the RFP response process, but that that might make me enjoy it a little bit more, <laughs> knowing that you can make that connection. At least people a sense of who you. And I've I've had it where I've gone in to do a presentation and I go to introduce myself to someone, and they're like, "Oh, we all know you. We watched your video." And you're like, yeah. oh, okay, well, I'll still introduce myself because I don't know you yet. But <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and it, yeah. it, again, it, it makes a difference and it makes you a human. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Very well said. Um, now, when it comes to changing different parts of an organization, this is from Gary on YouTube. Uh, Gary asked the question of which department have you found the most difficult to deal with? My experience is working with HR and finance teams. They can be tough cookies. Have you seen a, a certain uh, department or work group within your clients and your prospects that you think are harder to change or have more difficulty with change? I would say I don't know if there's a specific department that's more difficult to change. But I will say where I have seen the most pushback over my career is when a business brings in a vendor and doesn't involve IT soon enough. Mm. And IT doesn't feel like they were a part of the process when they should have been. And then as a vendor, that gets very difficult. Um, I think it comes down to 
culture of the, the department and the organization, what's going to be hardest and how interacting with that team is going to evolve over time. Um, I mean, I've seen some finance departments where it's very difficult to get them to change and get them to adopt new tools. And I've seen other finance departments that are the ones that are leading the charge in the organization to change. Um, so like in the world of process automation, it was really common for us to come in with, um, you know, implementing a process automation solution for accounts payable. And it was maybe the first time that they were getting any sort of workflow or um, automation, like intelligent document capture and that kind of thing in the organization as a whole. And then accounting was that ripple effect across the entire organization. Um, I would say HR, I have seen be a little bit slower to change in certain areas, but also because they're really more of a cost center than anything. And it's hard for them to come by a, a lot of money to digitize their, you know, thousands, if not millions of documents, depending on how big the company is. Um, but it's not necessarily from lack of want, but more like access to budget. Um, I would say sometimes an HR is a little bit hard to come by. Yeah. Yeah, I might. I might challenge the question a little bit and put, not push back on the question, but maybe just broaden the question to say that, you know, instead of wondering which department is going to be the most resistant, it might be more effective to focus on regardless of what department is, why will that group resist change? Because they will um, not because they're bad people, not because they don't like change in general, but back to your analogy and your story about your daughter at the doctor. Um, they don't understand why they don't want to do it. It's painful wants to get a shot in the case of your daughter who wants to go through change in the case of an organization so you know they're going to push back and so the question becomes why you know an hr department might push back because they're a cost center a finance department might push back because you know it's it's focused on well-established processes they've spent years developing these processes and now you're coming in and changing them um, there's also with both departments there's regulatory type things that you know kind of muddy the waters a bit but you look well, at like IT a, because they are already at full capacity and right. they can't take on another project that's been thrown in their lap. So yeah. there, there's always, yeah, to your point, there's always something behind it. It's not necessarily that like anybody that goes into this one department is difficult to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. And you want to avoid the trap of the other side of that discussion, which is, oh, well, those groups might be difficult. These groups over here, though, these departments are going to be easy. They, they get it. They understand the change. They They're ready for it. And that may be true on the surface, but don't fool yourself into thinking that any part of your organization is just going to be excited and they're just going to jump in, enjoy it and just do it. Um, there are going to be times where they're going to push back. They're going to resist it. You're going to have to, quote unquote, hold them down like you would hold down your daughter when, when yeah. she's getting the shot that one time. There are there are just there's going to be cases like that. So I think just really not asking if or how extreme, but understanding why back to your 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 uh, personal desire to always understand why, you know, we as leaders have to understand why, why are people going to resist change and what can we do to mitigate that risk or to minimize that, that resistance for sure. Um, there was another question I had from the audience here. Um, here's just a kind of a follow-up question or a follow-up comment here from Gary on YouTube. Who's the one that I think he's the one that asked that question. We just popped mm -hmm. up which is uh, I actually find it's been mostly mid-managers who, who are the most resistant regardless of departments. Um, I, I might agree with that. I, I guess I've never really thought about that, but mid-management is tough. I mean, a lot of times you get executives that are sort of a little bit removed from the reality and then the mid-level mid managers sort of get caught in the middle. You know, they're, they're kind of caught in the crossfire of all the change 
And I've down. made that, I've actually made a video on like the unsung hero of middle management because hmm. the executive team is setting the strategy and what they think needs to be done. And if they haven't done a really great job of that and helped that why trickle down to the middle management to then be able to disseminate that to everybody else within the organization, that layer is who gets all of the pushback from below and they get all the pressure from above. And right. so if they're, you know, if they can't articulate the vision in a way that makes it accessible to everybody else, it's a very difficult spot to be in. Um, and they don't have control over that strategy and that vision at the same level that someone above them might. Um, so I definitely can see that. And I could see why, you know, especially if they've been the ones that are responsible for trying to get that and getting that resistance and not having control over the process the next time that a change gets handed down, they might not want anything to do with it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, and, and also one last thing on that front, too, is is the mid-level managers may not necessarily be resisting change more per se, but they become the face of the resistance, um, mm -hmm. you know, sort of like they're representing their people and their groups and they're sort of translating what they're hearing and feeling from the front lines. And so it's not, I don't think it's necessarily that mid-level managers because their mid-level managers are now resisting change. It's more that they become the face of the resistance because they, mm -hmm. that's their job in some ways. That's a really good point. Yeah. They're trying to do what they can for their people and yeah. then they look difficult because of it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, another uh, comment here from Manoj along these same lines in Manoj's on YouTube says that I find it's back to back or I find it's back office administration teams who are very embedded in organizations and have used processes that have not changed for many years. Um, mm -hmm. So it brings up a good point, which is a lot of organizations have well-established processes for better, for worse. You know, they, there's some strengths and weaknesses to those well-established processes but a lot of times the the combination of established processes and the fact that we have so many people that have thrived in the chaos of broken processes and broken tools and broken systems that they sort of have these heroics that have gotten them this far in their careers within the organization. And now you're threatening that. You're threatening to take that away. And it might be the best thing for the organization as a whole. It might even be the best thing for the individuals longer term, but it's hard to see that sometimes. Uh, if, if I'm a person that has thrived in my career, in my organization, because I was able to overcome these broken processes and these broken systems. And I could use my tribal knowledge to, you know, apply my value. I'm going to resist change no matter how well-intentioned I am. I'm just going to feel threatened by that to some degree. It's the, the psychology back to your psychology background and, and understanding that. Is that something you see often or is that, do you think? I would say, so I actually think that's a really big opportunity to help turn those people into your biggest champions. And so, um, I've seen it many times play out and um, it's that idea of like, if you bring them in to the process, when you're planning out how you're going to implement a new process and what it's going to look like, and you use them, you know, if we're looking at like an as is to be process or, you know, current state, future state, when you're capturing that current state, if you use them as your knowledge source, to capture that information and you ask them a lot of questions as you're going through that and you gather that tribal knowledge, they're going to feel a sense of ownership over what that future state process looks like because they get to be a part of reshaping it. And as you're going through that, if you're doing a nice job on like the consulting side and you're asking the right questions and having them go deeper and deeper and almost acting like a three-year-old child of like, why, why? 
Why? And they eventually get to the point of like, well, I don't know. Like, that's just how it's always been. Then you can kind of challenge that and be like, okay, well, if you were going to design this in a different way, or what step could I take out that would save you time? And you make that person feel like it's being designed around improving their job or that group of people being designed around improving their job, their whole mindset on it is going to shift. And then they're going to focus on the benefits that are coming out of the implementation, as opposed to the fact that you're trying to replace them or remove them or change what they have to do. And oftentimes those people, they, you know, they do like the fact that they're in this role where they're important and they're driving something forward, but they don't like the fact that they've got three months worth of back work on their desk or, you know, like invoices that need to be paid that are, you know, late, whatever. And, and, and repurposing that idea of like your change as how can we improve your life so that the end of the day you can go home and your desk is clear. Uh, You know, like what could I do to make it that you don't have to have this hanging over your head anymore. And it's a whole different change and they're your biggest champion. And anyone that was on the fence it's like, oh, well, if they believe in it, then like it's probably good. <laughs> right, right. And it just makes winning over the whole crew that much easier. But if I come at it from a different perspective, I could ruin what you just said by doing what a lot of organizations do, which is to say, Emma, um, you've got a lot of, you know, a lot of difficult tasks you do in your job. I can automate 50% of that. If I come at it from that angle, that may be true. It may be that I could automate 50% of your job. It could be that I make your job easier and you could be more effective in that role. But what I hear, what I assume you hear, 50% automation, what does that mean for my job? Like, what mm-hmm. are you going to, are you going to eliminate me? Like in my part, am I a line item on a business case now <laughs> that my yeah. salary is now going away? Like what, what does that mean? And the way you described it is a lot better than what most organizations do, which is they come at it from too much of a dollars and cents or too much of a, what's the word I'm looking for? Just, it just almost too direct. Like it's too mm-hmm. directly focused on an end result or a, a, a net benefit versus the transition or the journey of getting Emma from her current role to what that future state is going to be. And by the way, Emma is probably still going to be around and adding a huge amount of value, probably more value in the future, but we have to connect the dots there. Well, and realistically, when you look at, cause you're right, there are and I could go into how many comments I've gotten in TikTok from saying that I don't believe AI is going to steal your job, but it's going to change it. Mm-hmm. The amount, I mean, I've literally been like personally attacked for my image or like my my physical appearance for saying it, um, told that I was a propaganda mouthpiece, I mean, going on. But really, when we look at like the state of our labor market and how hard it is for people to find the right talent to bring into their organization... They don't want the people that they have that understand their organization and understand their processes focused on small, menial, manual tasks. They want those people to be able to work on the business versus just like in it. And you get so much more opportunity by being the person that gets to help shape what that process is and then level up your own ability to help the organization. But So jobs aren't necessarily going to go away, but how you do your job, what that looks like, it's going to be very different. And someone needs to help move you through that process of understanding how it's going to look different and what you're going to be doing on a daily basis. But that like that message is continually propagated by the media. You know, every time that, you know, when ChatGPT came out, there was all these reports of the millions of jobs that are going to be eliminated 
but at this, there, but no conversation about the jobs that will be created or the jobs that will still be there, but look different and, or have, you know, a different set of responsibilities that open up more opportunity for other people to come into those old roles. Um, and it, you know, that's something that I could go on about for days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a good point. I mean, it's, it's, the industry is not doing itself any favors by put, they're not intentionally doing it, but there's these studies that are coming out. They're showing like we, in our podcast a couple of weeks ago, we talked about a, a study from, uh, I think it was McKinsey. They came out and said that just in the U S and Europe alone in the next X number of years, there's going to be, I forgot what the number was. It was like two or 300 million jobs lost or displaced as a result of AI. I don't know that I believe that or buy it yet. I mean, it's, and it's not that I'm trying to deny the reality of technology. It's just, I don't see that having that big of an impact. I think it's, it's a, there's a lot of fear in new technologies and it, in a way that I haven't seen since probably I was a kid, you know, when robotics were first starting to mm-hmm. emerge and everyone was worried that robots were going to take our jobs on the factory floors. And in some cases they, they did, they, they changed the jobs on the factory floors. So you know, people aren't doing as much hard physical labor as much as they did 50 years ago, but now the the skill sets required to run a factory are just different. It's just a different skill set now to run robots instead of you physically putting together every piece and part that, that happens on an assembly line. Um, so anyway, I think that's a that's a big part of it as well, for sure. We're here with Emma Roloff talking about people first digital strategies in digital transformation. We've got a lot more to cover, but first we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. If you are involved in any sort of digital transformation or business change initiative, you will want to download the 2021 Digital Transformation Report. With its comprehensive overview of business and technology trends and best practices, this report is a must-have guide for any transformation project or executive team. Download this free report by visiting Third Stage Consulting at thirdstage-consulting.com. You can also visit our website to learn more about us or download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 125. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. We're here with Emma Roloff talking about people-first digital strategies. Let's jump back into the conversation. Here's a question that's a little bit shifting gears, but I think it's important to get into, which is um, more of a skills-based side of human change. And I'm going to try and show the comment, although it's not all going to show because it's a long one, but I'll focus on the beginning part of it which is what course or certification do you think can help me as a new novice in digital transformation and change management? And I'll sort of paraphrase or summarize the rest of the question, which goes on to give some context, which is, is organization is using um, or or implemented SAP um, back in 2014 and the transition didn't go well. Now they're transitioning again or upgrading SAP and they don't want, he doesn't want to make the same mistakes again. So given that context of troubled implementation already once, we're going to do it again, and I'm trying to upskill myself. Um, what what sorts of courses or certification or just training background? How, how can we get more up to speed in our careers with with change management? So honestly, a lot of mine was reading books, watching videos online, talking to my customers. Um, 
So when it comes to, I think we're in an, a state where obviously certifications and, um, you know, courses and those types of things are really powerful. Um, I know a number of folks over at ProSci, I've done interviews with them and I've presented to their team before. Their certification process is something that almost anybody can go through. They have online options. Um, but I would say even before you do that, spend time with, you know, the free resources that are available to you. Look up the top change management books or look up, um, you like watch more of your conversations, go find people that are having these discussions and learn what you can first at that level so that you can kind of start to shape your thought process on how you can be effective. Because honestly, if you guys are going through your implementation right now, um, I don't know if you're going to get through a certification and then be able to implement and, and change how you guys are impacting it. So I would say almost crowdsourcing your knowledge is a big um, advantage that we have in this day and age with the amount of content that's available. Mm -hmm. um, but then also, you know, when it goes back to avoiding some of those pitfalls internally, just even having like almost like a multi-year <laughs> retro with your team to say like what went wrong the first time. And what are we doing to avoid it? And just even asking some of those questions to the to the right folks within your organization, because chances are you're not the only person that that felt that that burn the first time that wants to avoid it. So just even being the person that starts the conversation internally of like, what are we doing different and how are we going to avoid these problems? And what did we learn or what do we need to learn to be able to do this more effectively? Um, I think will take you a long way again, knowing that you're kind of at that point where you guys are working through that implementation um, to just kind of raise awareness on it and, and get people ha having a conversation. I think there's incredible value that comes from specific certifications or education in this space. But again, going back to all of it at the end of the day, it's helping people within your organization feel like you're acknowledging the human side of things. So you don't necessarily need a certification to acknowledge the human side of things. You have to have a conversation with humans and, right. and learn from the people that were there the first time and what went wrong. Um, and maybe we're going to get to, I know we're getting short on time, but I mean, in terms of like bare bones change management, um, we've talked a lot about this idea of the why and the vision, which might not be something depending on your level. It might be something that you are able to impact or help with, um, but really spending some time with the why behind why you guys are moving to the cloud, what that looks like and taking that and helping disseminate that message of why it's happening and what you're going to do to avoid the challenges that you have will be helpful. Mm. But then communication by and large is the biggest part of change management. And again, that goes back to the human side of things. Um, whether it's communicating on meetings, having those conversations about what went wrong, um, emails, video messages to, again, kind of make that human to human connection, one-on-one -on -one conversations, town hall meetings, anything you can do to disseminate that why, and then keep people updated on what's happening, what challenges you're running into, what's going really well, celebrating people that are helping drive the initiative forward. But that communication piece is the biggest part of it. Um, so working with whatever departments you have internally, whether it's HR, sometimes there's a communications department or a change management department, depending on the size of the company, but working with them to help them with that communication side, especially if you have the technical aptitude to kind of help make some of those connections happen, um, I think is probably, again, I know I saw I didn't give you a, a great clear cut, like go get this certification, 
but I don't think you have to, to impact change. Yeah. Well, and, and just recognizing how important it is. I mean, that's the first step, quite frankly, a lot of, a lot of people and a lot of teams and a lot of organizations don't even take that first step, which is just acknowledge that the people side is going to be probably the, the hardest part of your change. And it's probably the thing you're, you're not going to invest enough in. You should probably invest more in. So just sort of having that mindset, that alone is a big first step. And then if you can upskill yourselves and the rest of your team, that's huge. I think a lot of it too, um, you know, one thing I would add to what you just said, Emma, is that if you can focus on how to back to your sales background, how do you, how do you sell leaders on the need for change management and how do you sell them on um, not necessarily the downside or the dark side of, of change, but just how do you get them to recognize and acknowledge how important it is so that they themselves can lead the change differently than they might otherwise. I think that's probably the hardest part. And so if you can educate yourself in that way, I think that sales finesse piece of it is really important too. that upward selling. And I would say also, you know, if you need my little trick, if you need statistics or things like while you're selling it to talk about the value of change, um, one of the biggest ways that I use ChatGPT, and this isn't something where you're giving away proprietary information or using it in a way that you shouldn't base off of most companies like guidelines, go in there and ask for like case studies that show and ask ChatGPT to cite its sources and then, then you can check, check to make sure that it's not a hallucination. It's giving you real data. You can double check your sources. Um, but then you'll be armed with all sorts of statistics. And I promise you from the research that I've done, there's lots of meaningful statistics coming from McKinsey and Accenture and all the rest about how important change management and um, the human side of change really is. So there's a lot out there. Um, and that's a really easy way to get access to it without having to scour. And then you get access to these um, studies and these reports from these very reputable sources that you can use to build your knowledge as well. Right. That's, that's great advice. Um, just a couple follow-up uh, topics or follow-up comments. And then I want to ask you sort of a, a, a capstone question here to, to okay. wrap this all up or tie it all together. Um, but this uh, comment here is interesting from, from Jane on LinkedIn. Jane says the nature of jobs change with automation, AI or technology still need human intervention. This allows job enlargement and upskilling. So yeah, sort of like a, uh, I, I totally agree with this comment and I think it, it makes a lot of sense. And I think it's, it's back to your point or your comment earlier, Emma, about the opportunity, you know, how do you, how do you change this from a risk and a problem into an opportunity uh, for your team? But the key here is you have to focus on this. If you don't, allow for that job enlargement and the upskilling and you don't account for that in your transformation, it's not going to go well. So that's the the tricky part is you've got to get leaders to understand that as well and project leaders and that sort of thing. 100%. I think one thing to add real quick there, Eric, not to cut you off is I call that digital literacy. Mm -hmm. And I think I've been on a whirlwind cross country tour over the last couple of months talking all about digital literacy, both at the executive level down to every single person in the company and the importance of facilitating that with your team and executives building that so that they can help lead change effectively. Um, so, I mean, that whether it's individually that's happening at your company or you're seeking that out, again, crowdsource that understanding of technology and do some of that upskilling on your own, even if they're not doing it for you. Um. So one more comment I wanted to get to, this is from LinkedIn. I apologize. I don't see the name behind it, but it's, it's coming from LinkedIn. I truly believe some members of people do not understand the importance of effective communication or do not care. 
I see with a lot of preoccupation how AI or ERP just strengthen that lack of interest to interact with people. Uh, maybe I'm just missing the old times. So I, I think that's a that's an interesting comment because, um, and I apologize again, I don't see the name behind it. It's a really good comment, whoever said this, um, because I think there, you know, that lack of caring, you know, at the end of the day, you know, a lot of what we've been talking about is empathy and caring and understanding and asking why, all that stuff. You know, that's sort of what's missing in a lot of ways from from these change initiatives, wouldn't you, would you say? Yeah. Well, and I just saw a comment come in from Carmen talking about like EQ and IQ is so important when discussing digital literacy. And um, I like as a part of those presentations, uh, like the thing that I always say is like in a world full of technology, humans need to learn how to sharpen our soft skills. And we need to start taking a look at like, how do we take these traditionally kind of ne neglected skills? For a long time, it was this idea of like, you either have it or you don't. You're a people person or you're not. And like that, there are ways for us to lean into the pieces of us that make us human. And as technology continues to grow, those are going to be the skills that are most impactful in driving business forward and driving adoption of technology. And so like, anything that companies or individuals can do to like really dig into what those soft skills look like and how you can really harness them. That's how you're going to become really invaluable to an organization is, is understanding those human aspects that set you apart from the technology that's getting good at doing some of that other stuff for us. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Now let's assume that we all are on board. Now we, we get it. The people first strategies are, arguably, or I don't think it's arguable, but let's just say it's arguably the most important part of, of digital transformation. What, what next? Like, how do we get started on this journey? If we're about to start a digital transformation or software implementation, um, maybe we're in the middle of it. What, what could we do to start getting some quick wins or start to build some momentum and focus on this people first aspect of digital transformation? So I like touched on it a little again about what my like bare bones basics are, but if you're just starting, you need to start with a why. And the, from an organizational level or departmental level, that why needs to be clear enough that like if everyone was in a boat, they understood exactly what you were saying and started rowing in the exact same direction. It doesn't need to be, especially if it's like an organizational why and vision, it can't be specific enough that it goes to every single person in the company's what's in it for me but it does need to get everybody pointed in the same direction. Mm -hmm. And going back to our conversation of that middle management, that vision at the top does need to be clear enough where each department leader or each manager within an organization can take that and help turn it into a tangible what's in it for me. And if you haven't done that and you're halfway through your implementation, start working with your team to help them understand what the what's in it for them and their job function and how is that implementation going to value or bring value to them? And sometimes it is just as like simple as like, hey, so I had a conversation with somebody the other day, and this isn't technology implementation, but they were talking about the transition back to office and how they were getting a lot of resistance until they sat down with everybody. And they were like, I understand that you don't want to come back into the office. This is what I'm asking. This is how much I'm asking you to return back to the office and part of it is, I know you are experienced, but you've also been complaining to me over the last six months about how inexperienced everybody else on the team is mm. and how everybody keeps quitting before they're fully trained and how you get the hardest work. 
if we're going to change that, I need your help to get those people invested in the organization from a cultural perspective. And I need your help to train them so that six months from now, you don't get all of the hardest work because there's other people on the team that can manage it. And mm -hmm. she was like, it's not necessarily what they want to hear, but they're like, okay, I get it. Right. You know, just like, just to getting to that level where you can help everybody understand, even if it's like going back up to that organizational one of we need to get people back engaged in our culture and improve retention. That's not necessarily something that that individual is like, okay, great. You want to retain more employees. Well, no, let's turn it into what's in it for you. So even if you're partway through, I think you have room to do that. We talked a lot about communication, but I would say also the biggest part with that is communicating what's not going right. Um, I think is something that people like to gloss over. We all like to give the update of like, we're on time and we're on budget and everything's going great. And we're going to, you know, hit all of our dates. Nobody likes to say like, oh, like we realized halfway through implementing this portion of the solution that we were headed down the wrong path. So we stopped, we pivoted, and this is where we're going. And this is why it's going to take a little bit longer. And that communication of like, why things are sticky builds so much credibility as a leader. <laughs> and um, because like, we've all been on the side where like you hear something is happening and you hear a change is coming and then nothing ever happens with it. And you're like, well, wait, why didn't that happen? Or like, why is this taking six months longer than it needs to? Then the next time that a change is coming, you're like, oh, okay, I'll believe it when I see it. And so that, that like communicating the ugly or the bad or the pivots is incredibly important. And I think that's something we gloss over regularly. Um, and then the last part that I talk a lot about, and I touched on this earlier, but is celebrating small wins along the way. So Eric, you mentioned this idea of building momentum. To build momentum, you have to keep people engaged and you have to celebrate the small parts that are going right along the way. Because especially when you're doing something like implementing an ERP system, or a core solution. Some of those projects, when we're looking at implementing it across an entire organization, can take years, um, depending on how you're doing it. When you look at conversion and everything else that comes into like the full um, implementation, and for people to stay engaged with a project that long, you better be engaging them on a regular basis and helping celebrate the work that they're putting into keeping it move forward. And that's how you're going to build momentum and keep people engaged from the beginning to the end. Um, and so like you also have to, you have to communicate those pivots, communicate the good parts, and then celebrate those good parts to keep people understanding that you see the value that they're bringing to that project so that they continue to show up every day and drive it through to the finish line. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, well said. And um, just to build on one thing you said uh, from Carmen on LinkedIn, Carmen says leaders adjust the sales. So back to your point about pivoting, and uh, especially if you've been in an organization that has failed or struggled with change initiatives in the past, you need to make sure you acknowledge it, like you said, Emma, and also adjust the sales and, and be clear about what you're doing different uh, to, to focus more on these important success factors in digital transformation. Okay. Thank you, Emma. Great conversation. Really appreciate having you on the show again. It was great to have you on and to talk about uh, both of our favorite topics, which is uh, change management and the people first digital strategies. Uh, there's a lot to unpack from that conversation. Um, but before we do that, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. Interested in working for a company that truly values your unique skills and experience? Here at Third Stage, we don't hire based on resumes alone. We look at the full candidate 
experience, and willingness to provide excellent service for our clients. Within a technology independent and agnostic consulting firm, you have the opportunity to learn across industries with a diverse group of clients. Our consultants also have the opportunity to diversify their portfolio and learn across technology systems. If you're interested in joining a high growth entrepreneurial organization, please reach out to us at work at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 125. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on audio podcast platforms throughout the world, as well as YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, so Kyler, we just had Emma on the show again. It's been a while. It doesn't feel like it's been two years, but it's been about two years since she was last on the show. So she was on in the very early days of this podcast. So it was good to have her on again now that we sort of know what we're doing with the, with the podcast. Um, but she was here talking about people first digital strategies. What were some of your thoughts and takeaways from that conversation? Well, I'm a huge fan of Emma's content over the last two years. It's been really fun to watch her really develop as, you know, a, a key thought leader in this space, um, as well as just see her success in general. Uh, so there, I think there's so much to be learned from her authenticity and her overall value driven advice when it comes to considerations for your not only technical processes, but how you actually execute those people-driven strategies within your organization. And really that that starts with that background in, in education and communication. Um, so I, I think she really puts together a, a very clear kind of roadmap on how you achieve that because it a lot of times can be more of a softer, fluffier subject, but really diving down into the granular steps of how you achieve that is just so important to consider. Like, and we just talked about that phase zero planning to really map that out and be intentional about it and really see it from a lot of other perspectives. Yeah, absolutely. And she's She's got a unique way of really simplifying a pretty complex topic. And uh, I love the the story she told about taking your child to the doctor, taking your daughter to the doctor. I mean, I, I don't know anyone else that, that can take something as complex and unpredictable as change management and relating it to a child's visit to the doctor. So I thought I love that, uh, the way she sort of ties that or sort of uses that as an example of how we can manage change within our organizations. I mean, and that's such a humanizing tactic, right? That's that's such a way in which you really go into creating that empathy around, you know, taking your children to the doctor. And, and funny side note, we did a, her and I did a TikTok collaboration with both of our kids on change management and getting ready um, in the morning from crazy mom life. So it's definitely something that you can take into all considerations of your life. Hopefully you don't have as much resistance as her kids and mine put up in that video, but um, it is something that you can you can take into every area of your interpersonal connection. I think it just takes that professionalism and understanding that that doesn't mean hard communication and really hard expectation setting. That means you're going to be more effective if you do take an empathetic and, you know, kind or caring driven approach. And that's why Emma is so successful because it comes from that level of really wanting to help her clients and her audience achieve technology success within an organization. Um, I also thought it was really interesting because you have the same experience on Twitter where people just roast you for those ideas. Yeah. <laughs> it's just- Oh, I take 
Yeah. Or yeah, is on TikTok, just like they do her for kind of talking about emerging technologies and talking about AI. And I find that so ironic because if we don't talk about it, that's when it becomes dangerous. If we don't talk about like what will the effect be on society or enterprise organizational status or technology just in general, then that's when it becomes something that's that's so mystified that you can kind of find the dark side of it. Yeah. And I think what's interesting, I almost stopped her when she said that too. And I knew I figured you probably picked up on that too, because we've oh, talked dude. about it in the show. In fact, we had a whole segment one time where we just did mean TikToks <laughs> and you, you, you uh, did me the, the honor of reading all these mean TikToks from my, my own TikTok videos. But it was interesting to hear her say that. But what's really interesting though, I didn't want to get in, go down too far down this rabbit hole with her on the show because we had so much to cover. But, um, you know, with me, you know, our company does a lot of change management stuff, right? Change management services are one of our core offerings. It's one of a handful of core offerings we provide to our clients. So there are some that might argue, well, you're just highlighting the importance of change management because that benefits you. And I, I could see where people are coming from with that. Now, now, granted, I'll say that the reason we offer change management services is because we think it's so important mm -hmm. and therefore that's why we sell it. So it's, it's, it's sort of a chicken and the egg sort of discussion there. But with her, she doesn't sell change management services. She sells software. She's a sales rep selling software. And I always forget that about her until I'm oh, me like, too. deep yeah. into these conversations. And she just does not strike me as a salesperson at all, which is probably why she's really good at it. Um, but she talks about change management. And so she's made a career. She's building her name as a thought leader in the world of change management, which doesn't directly benefit her in the short term. So to me, it's like you look at that and say, well, there's no economic incentive for her just to go out and be talking about change management, really. I mean, she's doing it because she believes in it and she's passionate about it. And yeah, it might help her longer term. It probably does help her longer term, maybe even more than she realizes, you know, help, probably helps her sell more software because people trust her in that way because she's, you know, she's being honest and truthful and, and she's saying things that don't necessarily help her close a deal uh, in the short term. So I think that, that was real, what was really interesting about that comment, too. Yes, most definitely. But highly recommend following her on on LinkedIn and TikTok and subscribing to her newsletter because she really does have excellent and and really truly proven uh, thought leadership and change management and the digital literacy. I've really liked her her series on that and what that looks like and the importance of creating a, a digital culture and, and creating digital liter literacy. And as an organizational leaders, how are you going to serve your employees by bringing them into this new really technical workforce? Um, so if you haven't checked that out, I highly recommend it. Yeah, absolutely. And again, that's how I met her was on TikTok. And she's, uh, she's very active there on TikTok as well as on LinkedIn. And she's got a YouTube channel as well. That's, that's good. Um, but I think she's more active on the, the short form stuff on TikTok. Um, well, good. Well, uh, yeah, thanks for that that debrief. And uh, thank you again to Emma for being on the show. And we'll we'll have to have her on again soon. I certainly don't want to wait two years uh, to have her on again, uh, as we unintentionally did last time. So um, good. Well, we're going to stick with this theme that we're on here today with uh, the, the human side of change. And we're going to keep going with that and talk about a learning management uh, case study. And uh, we're going to unpack one of our current client engagements with one of our consultants that's on that engagement. Her name is Laura Moran from the, or Lauren Moran from the Third Stage Consulting Team. She's going to be on talking about this case study here, but we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. A man if you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. 
With offices in the US, Europe and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 125. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and audio podcast platforms. So my name, or my name, my name's Eric. Uh, that's not what I meant to say, <laughs> but uh, I don't know where that came from. I, I just, uh, as you know, came back from vacation just a few days ago, and I'm still, still a little rusty. I'm having trouble getting the gears in full swing here. So bear with me. I w- we will eventually complete this podcast, and I will eventually say something that makes some resemblance of sense <laughs> along the way. Um, but I'm excited for our next guest. Um, we have, uh, as I mentioned, Lauren Moran is going to be on the show. She's from the third stage consulting team, and she is going to uh, talk about a learning management case study with one of our current clients. And this is a conversation you're going to have with her. So I'll turn it over to you and Kyler, to you, Kyler and Lauren, to talk about this case study. Excellent. Well, let's get into it, Lauren. Um, Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so excited to be able to talk to you about some of the learning management projects you've been doing here at Third Stage. So if you could just give us a quick introduction and um, tell us kind of about uh, your overall background in the learning management space. Yeah, thank you so much, Kyler. Thank you for having me here. I appreciate it. So hi, yes, I'm Lauren Moran. I'm part of the Third Stage team. Um, I have years of experience in learning and development, and um, my specialty is change uh, adoption. So I bring uh, a unique perspective here because I have been on the vendor side of things, so providing you know that change. I've been on the client side, um, you know, absorbing the change. I've also been part of internal training teams throughout my career. So as part of the third stage team here, um, you know, I'm a learning lead on a project for, you know, a, a large ERP implementation that's going on. And I am driving the change adoption for, you know, a client that there's thousands of employees from all different types of groups that, you know, are facing, um, you know, the, the technology change that comes with it. So, um, yeah, that that's a, li- a little bit about, you know, what I've been doing over the course of, of my career here. Yeah, well, that's great. That's awesome to have such a cool perspective of all of those different areas, because specifically on, on the user adoption side, I, I know, you know, it can be a very unique experience for each organization and, and kind of part of their DI- DNA and, and culture. So I'm going to ask the question that our audience always asks, um, and I know they'll chime in in the comments too, but... Is training and user adoption, are those the the same thing? So training is a part, I would say, of the adoption. So training is the the last piece that goes into it. It's that final product that leads up to the adoption. So to even get to the training piece, there is so much that needs to be put into place. Um, between really figuring out what what is the change itself, what do people need to absorb, what is, what is the most important part of the absorption that has to happen? Because 
again, people can only absorb so much. And it's always not just one piece that's happening at a time. There's normally, you know, sure, there's an implementation going on, but there might be other things that, you know, uh, a company is absorbing at the same time. So it's all about the timing of it. But really, it's, you know, to lead up to that actual training piece, that learning piece that happens, there's so much, you know, um, that needs to be done as far as a, a learning needs assessment, finding out what people need to know, um, when to do the training, having that appropriate time. So it happens maybe just before that absorption happens and, you know, to be able to actually adopt it. So the training is such an important piece to teach people how to adopt it. What is the best practice to do so and to get to there? So many conversations have to be done internally with, you know, the, the team. So if you are looking at going through a digital transformation or building a new technology within your technology stack, what are some considerations when it comes to achieving that quote unquote third stage, as we say, or maximizing the value of your technology through the user adoption practices? Where does that start? What should what are some key steps you should start with when trying to consider that that's your overall objective? Yeah, the, the biggest starting point is figuring out who you need to talk to. So who are the key players um, that would be able to answer the questions to be able to figure out, you know, what that what those different pieces are. So, um, you know, having the different work streams and understanding, you know, who leads those work streams, who are the decision makers, who are going to be your change champions, the people that will have that positive spin on it that maybe would have that first touch point to really understand Okay, if we're going to be going through this change, let's run it by, you know, these folks first to to understand um, if it's successful before you roll it out to mm -hmm. everyone else, um, you know, in uh, the implementation. So it's really important to have change champions that will be the, you know, the cheerleaders, the rah-rah behind it um, to, to make sure that that trickles down throughout, you know, the company. Absolutely. Definitely. It sounds like it should be involved in kind of that phase zero planning yeah. prior yes. to the implementation. Would you agree? For sure. Yes, absolutely. And a lot of times, and I know you um, are working on one of our bigger, very complex clients, but we often get called in because of our overall agnostic and technology independent stance to implementations or technology projects that can kind of be in the yellow or moving towards a failure or have failed. And many times we see that as the failure point really comes with the user adoption and relationship with the technology. If you're going in or you kind of see that your project is moving off the rails a little bit, we're not having that perception, we're not having employees or team members utilize the technology, what are some recommendations that you typically give your clients to kind of right the train? Yeah, um, you know, definitely have experienced that before. And the biggest thing is communication to really understand and allow people to have a voice in um, you know, where they're feeling those frustrations. So the only way to really understand it is hearing it from, you know, people themselves. I always like to have, um, you know, after there's been trainings and a, a go live, having a post, um, you know, session to be able to invite people to, maybe it's a select group of people and having multiple sessions, but just having people voice their frustrations, feel that they're heard and being able to take that feedback Maybe it's building out other trainings. Maybe it's mm -hmm. just having one-on-one -on -one sessions, but just making sure, you know, the communication is there and just feeling heard. Absolutely. Definitely so important to uh, 
really engage those mm. employees in different user groups within the overall processes. Okay, we're here with Kyler and Lauren talking about a learning management case study. We've got a lot more to dive into, but first we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. We'll be right back. When I wake up, well, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who wakes up next to you. When I go out. Hi, this is Eric Kimberling with Third Stage Consulting and your host of Transformation Ground Control. I want to encourage you to read our Guide to Organizational Change Management. It's a free report or free guide that we published. It's one that I actually wrote that talks about best practices and lessons learned as it relates to change management. So as you know, on this podcast, we cover a lot of stuff related to the human sides of change, organizational change management, including training, communications, org design, all kinds of stuff as it relates to change management. So if you're trying to learn more about change management or you're looking for more direction and ideas on how to get started on your change management strategy and your overall journey, be sure to check out this guide. You can read it by scanning the QR code on the screen in front of you or in the links below for this particular podcast episode, you can find a link to uh, take you to the page that'll allow you to register to go ahead and download that and read it for free. So be sure to check it out. It's the guide to organizational change management uh, written by yours truly. I hope you enjoy it. Let me know what you think and hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 125. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. And Kyler and Lauren from the Third Stage Consulting team are here chatting about learning management in a case study in the world of learning management. Let's jump back into the conversation. So Lauren, why is it important to have learning management professionals as a part of your main core team for a technology project? Yeah, that's a great question. So when, you know, it's not always technical troubles that come up. Sure, those are obviously involved. But having, you know, a learning and development person, part of that core team, you're able to uncover, you know, some of the nuances and different troubles that the end users are going to face. So there's always, you know, the core team that's working on a project. But once something goes live, there are hundreds or thousands of employees that are affected outside of that team. And having that learning and development resource, I work with the core team to think about everyone else outside of that main circle to be able to make sure that beyond that team, those people are going to be, you know, understanding what the change is, that communication is there at the right time, and that they're going to be able to absorb, you know, everything that's going on outside of, you know, the main core group. So it's thinking beyond, you know, that inner circle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely so important. We see that in other areas of a lot of times which stakeholders have opportunities to be involved in that from cultural to organizational change to all kinds of, of different pieces that often aren't considered. And that can really mean a healthy project is that yeah. balance, right? Yep. So I'm wondering when it comes to what you've seen, because you've obviously worked across the industry when it comes to training. What would you say to a vendor or system is integrator that said, hey, we got the training, we got this, don't worry about it. Um, this is something that that will do kind of that knowledge pass. Yes, the vendor, and again, I've been on that vendor side mm -hmm. of things, providing that training. And it is a, it can always, you know, sometimes it's a can training and it's a one size fits all. Mm. But when you're when software is being implemented, it isn't a one size fits all. Mm -hmm. There are certain processes, and I'm you know with the client I'm working on right now. Yes, they're using you know the the software, 
but they have their specific processes of how they are going to work through that system. Just like anything else on our iPhones, there's a million different ways you can do one particular thing. So it's really helping figure out and individualizing that training for the client. Like I said, I've been on the I've been on the vendor side of things, and then we, you know it's you can deliver that one size fits all. It is not a one size fits all for most um, uh, clients. It's it's sticking to the processes that are there and helping them develop a training specifically for them and their people. Absolutely. So it sounds like to really get that maximum business value, you mm-hmm. really do need to create a strategy, not just kind of pass knowledge about a new exactly. system. Yep. Interesting. And so in relationship, because I know, you know, you work on the organizational change and the cultural side, how does that fit into learning management or development? Where do those kind of sit? Are they side by side or um, congruent to each other? Is there some crossover there? Yeah, there's definitely crossover. The the training and, you know, training strategy is just a piece of, you know, change management. Um, communication is, you know, being able to to get the communication out there. That's another whole work stream that can be part of, you know, the change uh, strategy as well. Training, learning and development is just kind of one runway to it. Um, it's really making sure that everyone understands what's going on. Um, you know, like I said, that communication piece that's there. Uh, and that the timing is right to be able to send out the message and make sure that everyone's aware of what's what's coming what's coming up. Uh, you know, when when is the go live happening? What does that mean for me? Um, and being able to trickle that out to all the different mm-hmm. groups and all the different you know departments and people. Definitely, definitely. And and when we think about training, you know, as a corporate dropout myself, sometimes there can be this perception of like, oh, you know, we're we've got to go through a different training, we've got to do all of these different things. How would you recommend creating a positive perspective around it's a new opportunity for learning, not something that is is kind of slam down their throats when it comes to a new system. Yeah, um, you know, so it, it's been interesting to see over over my career how much that piece itself has changed. When I started out my career, everything was in person, very formal, in front mm-hmm. of an entire classroom, and that has completely evolved since then. So being able to keep this positive spin on it that it's not going to be, you know, a nuance to anyone, it's all about quick hits and keeping Mm -hmm. it it fun, Um, being able to have it at your fingertips, maybe more of a, I I need to know X and I need to know it maybe three days from now, whatever it might be. I want to attend that training when I need it. So having Mm -hmm. it at your fingertips, it doesn't have to just kind of be that that one time type of training. It's an on-demand type of training. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's an as you need it uh, type of approach. And definitely quick hits there. Um, and, you know, you don't feel like it's going to be taking out, you know, your entire day. Uh, a lot of us have wear a diff- whole bunch of different hats and mm-hmm. we don't really have time for training, even though it's important. So I think, you know, having the quick hits, the on-demand type of training is is really what's in, evolved throughout the years of, in my experience. And when it comes to delivery for that, do you recommend mm-hmm. kind of an LMS or a platform or how have you seen that communication structure be successful? Yeah, I... Most often, uh, you know, it's been part of an LMS where it can be delivered in a learning path with prerequisite courses and, you know, um, being able to have different quizzes uh, to make sure you're, you're understanding, you know, the the strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
you know, it, it doesn't have to be part of an LMS. It's definitely scalable and it can be just links in a PowerPoint that go out to a YouTube video, you mm -hmm. know, where something's been stored. So yeah, an LMS is great to have that and be able to develop learning paths, but it's not necessary to have. That's great. So you you can have a path in which you can structure that without having to invest very, in a whole new platform. Yep, very much so. So as we kind of wrap up our conversation, because we always love to talk about failures, what are some key areas of learning management failure that our audience should be aware of? A lot of times, one of the first things that's taken out, but training is so necessary. It's so important to think about all the people that are going to be affected by this and the change that they're going to face. Um, you know, whether it be just a small piece of technology to, you know, something more complex, um, you know, we're, we're trying to absorb a lot uh, these days. And it's super important to be able to make sure everyone's on the same page and understanding the same processes um, and that they're able to do their job and do it efficiently. The more efficient they are, the more, you know, time they have and, you know, efficiency is always great. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, it, it's super important. Uh, you know, it is one of the things I see that's taken out the most. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it, it's definitely something to to consider and make sure that uh, all of your end users are, you know, being thought about too. Yeah, it's absolutely critical. And we, we talk a lot about kind of the insurance policy, the quality assurance, um, for a digital transformation project, which is a lot of times what Third Stage brings to the table, because our only objective is increasing and maximizing the objectives of our clients. Um, and I, I think it's so interesting. Um, a lot of times we do see leaning out on project budgets on the training side because of that kind of talk track from our vendor partners, who is that knowledge passing is important. But at the same time, it's not um, like your cookie cutter approach you talked about, it's not really unique to the organization. So to really see that full third stage of a digital transformation, we really need to make sure that you're prioritizing that from an independent and technology agnostic standpoint, which I know you're, um, you know, leading the charge on, on one of our biggest clients here in the States. Um, on that. So uh, this is such such good insight. We've just recently started to do more learning management content on um, on all of our different channels. So we'll definitely have to have Lauren back to kind of talk more. I love that. Yeah, about what what that looks like, because it's certainly a critical component of that. Um, if you want to learn more about um, our learning management services, you can go ahead and go onto our YouTube page. We have a few key videos that we go over, some tactics that you just want to make sure you add to your checklist when phase zero planning. You can also download our 2023 digital transformation report, which I'll pop that QR code right up here. Um, that's really a, our playbook. It's a 70 plus page playbook um, that's completely free to download uh, that brings you through all of the different aspects of that, including training and learning management. So thanks again, Lauren, for joining us today. It was so great to have you and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Thank you, Kyler and Lauren. Great conversation and very relevant topic, especially given the other topics we've covered so far in this episode. We want to unpack that a bit more and uh, debrief on some of that conversation. But first, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. 
With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 125. You can find new episodes every Wednesday on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and audio podcast platforms throughout the world. Um, so Kyler, that great conversation with Lauren and very cool topic. What were some of your thoughts and takeaways after that conversation? Yeah, I didn't realize it was the episode of the moms today. We've got the moms club up in here. Um, I didn't even realize that, but um, Lauren- Not my I, plan. I know, right? Right? It's a, by beautiful coincidence, but- I don't think I've ever interviewed someone like Lauren who has worked on the corporate side, the vendor side, and the independent side of building out these learning management strategies. Uh, so that was really interesting to see her take from each side of understanding why you really need an enterprise focus and independent training plan that is not just an SI or not just a vendor coming in saying this this cookie cutter approach works every time. Good luck to you. And then you don't have, you know, the focused user group experience or the engagement needed to really customize the training approach or really the holistic learning management strategic approach. Right. She does a nice job of of explaining some of the science and the nuances and the details that go into that sort of learning and adoption. It's not not as simple as just pulling some off-the-shelf generic training materials that a software vendor provides. There's a lot more to it um, to customize training and to make it tailored and targeted to the right audience within your organization. Yeah, and that data around, it's so interesting, the on-demand offerings. And I love the way that she explains it. Like any organization can have on-demand training. It doesn't mean that you need to have a huge LMS and spend a ton of money on learning management. It could literally be uh, unlisted YouTube videos that you can go in and search the platform to see what you need to do at that point. Um, and the importance of, of really engaging those change agents in creating that material. So they mo are more authentic, so they are more utilized, and that user adoption rates are ultimately higher, which we, we of course know maximizes the value of the technology and the investment. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're going to spend all this time and money on a technology initiative, you might as well spend that little incremental extra time and money to make sure that people know how to use it. And that's where the real rubber meets the road in terms of business value and getting the ROI out of the investment that you've just made. So it's, it's just one of those deals where you think, why, why don't more organizations intuitively know that you need to do that? Um, they do it, you know, a lot of organizations are really good at training and especially organizations that have to do a certain type of training, like safety-based training, like in regulated industries or blue-collar types of industries where you have to reinforce safety and make sure everyone's on the same page with processes and that sort of thing. You would think those organizations, at the very least, would know that when we invest in new technologies, we could take a page from our own playbook and apply those same training principles to the way we train our our masses. But oftentimes organizations just don't. It's really it's really interesting to me and fascinating. But it's such a such a huge opportunity to not only minimize and mitigate the risk of failure, but also more importantly, make sure that you deliver long term business value. 
And I, I, th I think that's the question I really want to ask you, Eric, to kind of sum up this conversation is Lauren's newer to the team. This overall service offering is newer to the team, but this is one of our biggest and most complex clients. And it was per your direction that we needed to have really an independent focused training plan. Why did you task the team with really focusing and making that a priority? Well, mainly because it's such a such an untapped opportunity for clients to to be more successful and it's usually it's usually an area that a team or that a client doesn't have enough capacity and skill set to to be able to address effectively um, especially when you think about a digital transformation or a technology implementation where it's just consuming a lot of people's time and bandwidth that you already don't have and now you throw on top of that you know the need for training adoption and that sort of thing um, is just a, an opportunity for us to add a, a huge amount of value. Um, so that was really the, the main reason is just because I, I, I just don't think the industry does this well, including software vendors, by the way, even software vendors and technical implementers, they just don't do it well. They, they sort of do a train the trainer approach and call it good, you know, in general, I'm, I'm simplifying, of course, but in general, what they do is they'll train a handful of trainers and then say, here are the materials, just go, go train your people. And they they sort of leave it to them, and, and usually that's where the ball gets dropped on the training side of things. So that's really why we why we started focusing on that service offering. Well, that's that's so interesting. Lauren's the perfect person to lead that, right? Because she she does know, and as she mentioned in our case study, that it can be really dangerous um, to just take the vendor's approach and say, "Here you go, learn how to use it, or else," because then you're you're not going to achieve that that maximum business value that we that we referenced. But definitely love to hear from the audience too as we kind of wrap up this episode focused on training and learning management, specifically that conversation. What's been your experience with maybe? a botched training or what are some training best practices you found within implementation? Um, definitely would love to hear from our, our global audience on, on that level as, as well. Yeah, absolutely. I'd be curious to hear that feedback. And uh, thank you again for leading that conversation with Lauren. And thank you to Lauren for being here as well. And uh, thank you to the audience for being here as well. Great, great uh, engagement here today. and appreciate having you all here. Again, you can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on audio podcast platforms like Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, etc. Or you can also watch it uh, streaming every Wednesday on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. So be sure to check us out and subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. And would love to hear your feedback along the way as well. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll look forward to seeing you next week on Transformation Ground Control. Have a great week and we'll see you next time. Take care.